So welcome back. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Formula 101. I hope everyone's been enjoying the build-up to the start of the season, that F1 is getting uh, just a little bit closer as we speak. A lot is happening in the meantime uh, across the, the globe, obviously, uh, but also boiling down to, to Formula 1 as well. I believe at the, the time we're recording this, uh, in the morning, we just kind of received news of Nikita Mazepin's departure from Haas. Drive to Survive uh, Season 4 is on the horizon, I believe, in the next few weeks. It's out here in the States, which, as I'm sure you're aware, I have mixed feelings about the series and have kind of only seen the trailer in parts and pieces. And people have been talking about it because I think they've chosen some interesting people to focus on and storylines to to track uh, but nonetheless people seem hyped for it and I am interested to see really what stories they'll focus on and what what people's reaction will be to it uh, but now moving on to today's topic the inspiration that I kind of had for today really stemmed from last season's debacle of a finale in Abu Dhabi and I'm not going to be talking about what happened specifically, but more or less the actions, the conversations, the discussions that people have been having because of that event uh, and and out of that problem, I guess, or, or that kind of scandal is a word you could use. Uh, I wanted to ask this very specific question of what makes a good champion? Or what makes a good driver, more generally? And in posing these questions, I understand that they are questions that everyone will have differing answers to. So uh, you may have totally different opinions than me in this episode. There is a lot of subjective evaluation over the attributes that I'm going to choose to highlight, but I am not making this episode as a as a way to say X champions are better than Y champions or, or anything like that. That's This is not a kind of uh, a judgment on my hand. All I'm really wanting to do is to pick out some characteristics that are seen more across the board in the listing of F1 world champions and discuss uh, how they use them, what they are, and how they impact their driving, really. So I, I plan to break it down into categories. I want to pull from actual experts and drivers because I'm, I'm the last person to judge all of this with a grain of salt. Uh, and so I'm going to start with one kind of the physical attributes because there are some kind of bodily, more external qualities that relate to this discussion and move on to kind of two, the psychological or internal qualities. Uh, and three, kind of spend most of my time on the on-track capabilities of a driver, like how well they manage their car. And so I think that's kind of the easiest way to get a big picture of this conversation. So without further ado, let's get started. So I'm gonna be starting with the physical. And something I didn't realize for a bit of my early kind of F1 viewing career was actually how small these guys are compared to other athletes. I think they're they're all shorter and leaner in stature. And as they're around similar people, you don't notice necessarily that they're on the shorter slash smaller size. 
uh, case in point, Coda at, at, in Austin this past year did a, a free throw contest with NBA players who came into the paddock. The pictures are absolutely hilarious because the height difference is is so astounding between the two of them. Uh, and then when I went to Coda, gotta be five years ago or something, they had cardboard cutouts of the drivers that were based on their actual height. And I vividly remember standing next to Felipe Massa's cutout and he was about my height and I'm five foot four. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not tall at all. I consider myself quite short, but it was, it was kind of a surprise to see like 16 year old Peyton standing next to a grown Formula One driver and being kind of similar in height. Uh, but this uh, shortness, that's a mean way to say it, but that's obviously intentional. It's desired. Shorter drivers weigh less. They a, a lighter car goes faster. So it's something that drivers will specifically train for. They put on lean muscle and they will also train for neck strength. That's something you'll see highlight. That's why these guys have such thick necks. It's really to deal with the G-forces in going around corners because obviously their head is sticking up above the the cockpit of the car in some height. Uh, and so they need to be able to deal with those big forces as they go around corners lap after lap. So they need to be fit to deal with the various temperature and climate conditions of races. Some are super hot and more strenuous than others. They will sweat a lot and lose weight during, lose, lose water weight during the races. They need to be able to deal with those difficult conditions. They need quick reaction times. They need to have good nutrition and cardiovascular strength. Those are all simple, straightforward things that, that generally all athletes will look towards just a bit different in Formula One when it comes to things like the neck strength. And if you want to learn more about how drivers actually train, I'd recommend taking a look at Michael Italiano's work. He is Daniel Ricardo's very good friend and personal trainer. He's on TikTok and Instagram. He has his own workout and nutrition plans, I believe. He's really educational and informative kind of about the process and what he does with Daniel uh, to keep him in good shape because Daniel is definitely... Uh, very athletic and um, really fits the kind of ideal standard for a Formula One driver. So in line also with those physical attributes, you have to, if you, you have to couple that with, with mental things. So like mental toughness, which no, isn't F1 specific, not even sports specific, um, but it's highly important in Formula One is a high-pressure sport, and especially you look at how mental strength, um, mental, you know, struggles or illness even in a way comes into play, especially with teams like Red Bull Racing, where because of their kind of sister team or junior team with Toro Rosso, AlphaTauri, your seat at, at Red Bull was never promised. The necessity to perform well is constantly weighing on your mind. Ex-Red Bull drivers like Danny Kofiat, Alex Albon, those guys can definitely speak to that feeling of being there. I think even Daniel Ricciardo could be grouped in there. So there is stamina, there is mental endurance and toughness that is absolutely necessary. Not only are you out racing in potentially difficult and also dangerous situations for hours on end, 
But then these guys need to, to come in and speak to media personnel. They need to speak to the press, go to, go to press conferences. Um, and so that, that section leads me into this subsequent one, which has to do with professionalism. So that's the kind of next step, which I think in a lot of ways is tougher to evaluate in Formula One, considering how PR trained these drivers are and that they get asked these questions and they, they know the right things to say. And you're never really getting a straight answer because they have to conduct themselves in a certain way or act a certain way as a driver, as a champion. Um, and especially when it comes to the guys who are champions being the face of F1, how they can affect public perception and make people think either positive or negative things about the driver. And so this conversation really as a whole was put under the spotlight really with Lewis and Max this, this past season. And this is the only time I'm going to bring up the two of them. And it, but it, it just, it begged the question about how actions and character impact how someone is viewed. Cause I know Lewis has experienced his more than fair share of criticism over his career, more criticism, I think, than any other driver for the way he's used his fame, whether that's with who he's been friends with or what events he attends, the clothes that he wears. Um, Bernie Eccleston also said that Sebastian Vettel was a bad world champion for being so private about his personal life. But now a lot of people's opinion on Seb has changed as he's grown and matured and, and left Red Bull and subsequently Ferrari. Um, a lot of people have mixed feelings about how Max has handled his championship win last year with the comments and the jokes that he's made about Lewis Hamilton and Total Wolf at Mercedes. Um, these are all kind of three disparate arenas, but surrounding the idea of professionalism and that the way you hold yourself and talk about yourself and other people and the sport you live in and work in uh, can can impact how people look at you and treat you and ultimately kind of help or hurt your position as a world champion. Now let's get on to the fun part because this is where we have more information to cover is the actual racing. But this is also the the hardest to, that I found to put into words because one, I myself as a regular person have such limited knowledge of what I believe to make a champion deemable as good and my knowledge is incomplete and based on incomplete variables. So the research I did here and the comments I'm going to make are coming from other people. I don't claim them as my own um, because I needed to kind of fill my brain up with more information than what I had of past champions of the years that I was not alive and not watching Formula One. Uh, so that could inform my opinion and my uh, discussion here. So I read an article that did a really nice job in breaking down this category of the on-track qualities of a champion into portions instead of just saying, is he a good racer or does he win races? Because on one hand, there is talent. There is innate skill. There is something that you have that others don't that God-given gift that makes you one in a million and that others just can't replicate no matter how hard they try. And there are simply things that make someone better than others and that can be exploited and utilized to make them a champion. So there's that, but then on the other hand, there are things that are learned. 
And from that, some drivers will do that learning and adapting and evolving better. So there are there are always levels to each of these. So the combination offers a bit of a formula, no pun intended, that includes both what a driver has and what a driver does, because it's not just one or the other. Because me going out and buying the same tennis racket as Roger Federer and all the clothes he has and going to the same courts that he practices on doesn't make me anywhere near the tennis player of Roger Federer. It's the same with F1. No amount of Red Bull paraphernalia uh, or pats on the back by Christian Horner will make me Max Verstappen. So yes, it's what you have and what you learn, all of which is personal and it differs from individual to individual. And you know, that's a good thing because that's what gives us all the different racing styles and methods that we see on track. So we understand the concept of what drivers are. We get what talent is. We all have our own unique talents in something that maybe we just can't explain why we love it or how we do it so well or so easily. We just can. But that is undeniably a part of the equation and can't be removed entirely when discussing what makes a good world champion. But what are the other things that a driver does or learns that makes them championship material? So we can start simple with driving skill. In learning how to make a car go around the track as fast as possible. That isn't something necessarily that you can just do because it's a lot of trial and error. So why do you think drivers run so many simulation laps or why we have practice sessions before the race? So we come to a track we've never been to and never driven on. You can't just step out and expect to expect even the best like Lewis or Seb to go out there and put down the fastest lap they can on their first try. They're not that good. That's just not how it works. These drivers have to take in a vast amount of information on the fly and make changes to their style in order to get the most out of the car and perform the best they can. But it just doesn't happen with the snap of a fingers. They need to learn how to push the car to the limit while taking in all of those factors. Because F1 is about pushing the limit. It's about the reaches of automotive innovation and speed. So drivers face that down every time they get into the car. And this is the element of speed efficiency, of being both quick but also efficient in getting around the track. And it's hard to find that right balance uh, because it's something you keep working for. Like you're never perfect in F1. You may be perfect over one lap, but maybe not repeatedly or from year to year, things change, you change, the driving, the racing, the cars change. So just because you get it right once doesn't mean you'll get it right forever. It's not like you get it and then you never have to work on it again. It's a constant kind of uh, progression of working to reach that peak or or the, the highest you can get. And so sometimes that ability to reach it, like I said, can give some drivers a better record during qualifying. Some guys are super quick over one lap. They're known to put in hot laps or qualifying laps while others, their consistency or their ability to reach a higher level more often 
maybe not the peak, but just really high levels could benefit them during the actual race, uh, actual full length. And so it changes from track to track. Yes, they do come back to various tracks every single year, but there's new settings and new atmospheres that offer constant kind of opportunities to get better at their speed efficiency and force them to never get too comfortable where they are. And so there's learning in how to handle the car you're given, having adaptability. Adaptability was a word I saw repeated in a lot of the articles that I researched in because sometimes the cars that you're given just don't benefit you in the way that it benefits your teammate or it just isn't quite right for that race. Drivers have to figure out how to alter their driving style to to fit those changes and some of them do it better than others. So in this discussion, there's this kind of idea about having a car that suits your driving style because each car will have portions that are tailored to the specific driver. They're smaller parts. And so a lot of the car is unchangeable. It, between yourself and your teammate, it's the same. Uh, usually the parts that deal with aerodynamics and things like tires that are entirely out of their control or meant to follow the FIA rule book, those obviously cannot change from driver to driver. But sometimes the number one driver on the team may be given more sway over bigger things or decisions on the car, which will mean that it is more tailored to their driving style and preferences. So while yes, this may be out of that driver's control in some fashion, it's also up to them to learn to deal with it and see how they can find their own sweet spot and what they can do to work with the car they've been given and do the very best they can, even though it's not custom made for them. And yes, that sounds like a big ass coming from me who's never driven an F1 car, but being able to work with what you're given and make the best out of it, I think is a quality that sets apart a lot of people who are a lot of drivers, a lot of athletes, whose first instinct might be to complain or to throw their hands up uh, while others will kind of roll their sleeves up and, and get to work. Now, handling in a car will come into play, especially with weather. That was something, you know, rain can be the real equalizer in a field because it throws everything into havoc. Uh, it also requires a lot of thinking on your toes, dealing with uncertainty and maintaining a level head, often since it involves safety cars or stoppages. Uh, it's nothing you expect, it's not predictable. You have to be on your toes at all times. And it puts a driver's ability to react and learn front and center. There is nowhere for them to hide. It brings instincts into play and kind of maybe even talent more so to the forefront because you got to rewrite your initial game plan. You can't follow what you thought you had and got to got to do something new right then and there. And there's, there's no waiting that can be had. Now, we can take this concept or act of learning very literally as well and say the drivers that are well-studied and knowledgeable about cars, engineering, and racing history often will earn themselves an edge or increase their value to teams. And just in general, knowing what's going on with the vehicle that you drive every day will only help you and, and never harm you. Um, Sebastian Vettel is a prime example of this. Throughout his career, he's made a deliberate point to be incredibly educated in the sport. 
he, you know, he could be construed as being nerdy about it, but he, he so clearly loves it. Uh, it, but it's really genuinely benefited him in many ways. And especially later in his career, when he has, when things at Ferrari kind of went sideways and we were questioning whether he would remain in the sport anymore, he, people kind of had to evaluate whether he was worth keeping around a lot, which is a kind of sad, sad point to make. But especially with this move to Aston Martin, and what he's done there with a team that's really trying to rebuild itself under under a new name, new management to to bring themselves to the top, kind of working from the midfield. Sebastian has been wildly valuable to them, and they have spoken so highly of him and the information that he knows and the way he's been able to pour all of his knowledge back into the team and benefit uh, them and their results and even, you know, Lance alongside him being able to learn from Seb. All of it has made him a very, very valuable driver, not just to Aston Martin, but really to the sport. Because just recently, the new team principal of Aston Martin, his name is Mike Crack, which is a funny name, I know. Um, He said that he wants to extend, he's already wanting to extend the contract with Sebastian Vettel this after this year, because I believe it only runs to the end of this year. He said that he absolutely wants to keep Seb on the team longer and that his Sebastian's knowledge has made him a quote, uh, the key on the road to success since he's a top man when it comes to his driving end quote. So he's been spoken of very highly by Mr. Crack, as well as Otmar Safnauer, who was the old uh, team boss of Aston Martin, who has since moved on, I believe, to Alpine. He spoke very highly of Seb as well when he first signed on to the team. So it's clear that Seb's kind of total immersion in the sport has served him very well and has definitely played a role in how he's perceived by other members of the grid and the paddock. And I think it has allowed him to increase his value. I mean, I, I keep saying he's valuable for his knowledge. He's entirely valuable for his four world champions championships that people seem to conveniently forget very often. Uh, but nonetheless, his everything that he's stored up in that brain of his has allowed him to help a team that is wanting to, to kind of grow and also help even younger drivers as well. So he has a lot uh, to offer that comes from his uh, kind of embroilment in the sport. And so I saw, kind of to close out, I saw a quote in this realm of discussion that said, uh, a raw natural talent may know how to go fast, but not why. They'll know how. They'll say, I can get out there and go super fast. But when they come back to the pits, they won't have a clue of why they were going so fast. And so I think just being able to go fast as a action has its limits because being fast is only a part of the puzzle. There are so many more facets that go into this discussion and that a driver will need to utilize and work with in order for them to A, become a champion and B, be considered a good world champion. all of the things that I've mentioned, including, you know, reviewing telemetry, they utilizing those track walks that drivers go on. Sebastian doesn't have to go on track walks when he goes to tracks. He's been to most of them 
many, many years. Lewis Hamilton doesn't go on track walks. Sebastian goes on a track walk every single time without fail because he wants to, to know what's going on. He wants to be involved. Um, so drivers doing things like that. One, you know, others choosing to really deepen their relationship with their race engineers and their team members to better understand how the car functions and how all the parts come together. These are all elements that some drivers will make a real point about being involved in more than others. And you see kind of with the drivers that are considered the best of the best in terms of champions, they will do a lot of these things and be very obvious about it, not in a, in a way to draw attention, but it's just because they are so involved in every part of what they love because they want to be the best, that drive to be at the top and be successful and perform their best all the time drives them to do these things. And now that doesn't mean that, you know, <laughs> I look back at um, Seb was said by Christian Horner that he would have five hour debriefs after races. Uh, and so it doesn't mean that all, all race car drivers, all champions do that. No, they all have their own specific individual qualities and choices that they make. Um, but it seems that the drivers who put in the work to know their car inside and out benefit more than those who do less. So that's not a commentary about our recent champions or anything like that. But these are qualities that stuck out to me in terms of, you know, capabilities and things that a driver has put their mind to, to learn, to practice, to grow into, uh, without dismissing the things that they're born with, because you can't, you can't totally divorce those two sides of the coin because some people are just born to be <laughs> what they are. Um, so that kind of was me attempting to make a combination or, or a mix of all of those things and take into account all of the, all of the categories that really pour into creating a, a driver uh, that is labeled kind of a champion, whether that's you know the physical and the mental part of it, so the outside, the, the driver's uh, physique and those things, but also how they handle themselves in the paddock and then how they go about driving on track. All of that is wrapped up together to kind of give somewhat of a picture of what I, at least in my head, would consider a good world champion. So we are under 30 minutes today. I knew I wanted to keep it a little bit shorter because I know I've been going a little longer in my past episodes. So thank you for listening to this one. Um, I will see you again very soon. Uh, F1 is around the corner, so I will see you all in a bit.